Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. <laughs> I guess unless you're some sort of vegan, then I guess this is the broccoli of the course. Um, I made up some data. This is an experiment. Well, no, it's not. Don't worry about the numbers, okay? Um, let's say we collected data on the effects of retention interval on memory. I've given a list of words to subjects. Participants. And I'm showing you a percent correct. And if I, let's say it's a list of 50 words. And then I give them either, so they study the words for five minutes, something like that. And then I give them a recall test after five minutes, after one hour or 24 hours. The numbers may not look exactly like that, but they look quite a bit like that. 90% correct at five minutes, one hour you get 70%, you might get 60% at 24 hours. You get a significant drop off from five minutes to one hour and not much of a drop off from one hour to 24 hours. And you get down around, you might get down around 40 or 30 if you're just doing free recall uh, 24 hours later. Or sorry, a month, week later. Okay? I just wanted to throw that in. That is, by the way, not a good idea for your thesis. This has been done by Ebbinghaus. Okay, this is old. So you do analysis of variance, and you conclude that retention interval affects memory. You will not get a publication of this. If you take the psychology lab course that we're starting up next year, we may do an experiment like this. Maybe a little more complicated. That's going to be fun, by the way, if you're into the science side of any sort. You want to collect data. Um, we've got a lab course right next year. So we team teach it, the five of us, it'll be fun. So you do that and find it, oh boy. Here's some more data. This is on what's called levels of processing. In human cognition, there is a phenomenon called levels of processing. The more deeply you process something, the better you remember it. Uh, a low level of processing would be I want you to count the number of ascending and descending letters. So a D is an ascender, right? A little, little, little D, and a P is a descender. And you just count those. And these words maybe are coming at you very quickly. They're coming at you one every five seconds. Whatever our experiments uh, A medium level of processing might be think about the pleasantness of the word and rate it on a scale of one to seven. Now you've got to think about the meaning. And a really high level of processing, you might want to call it a deep level of processing, would be make up a sentence with this word. Now you have to really think about the meaning and how it relates to other words. It's even more uh, deep level of processing. And you will find that after, uh, then I asked you to recall the words, you would recall them the best at the high level, a little less at the medium, and a little less at the low. Okay? Craig and Lockhart, 1972. Again, you will not get a publication out of this. It is, however, the most cited article in all of experimental psychology. Which is pretty cool, because they were Canadian, U of T. So you do the ANO and you find the levels of processing effects memory, and somebody says, yeah, Craig and Lockhart, 1972, it's been done. Oh boy, you just did two meaningless experiments. <laughs> what level of retention interval 
Should you have you done your LOP experiment, your levels of processing experiment? It's an open question. For that matter, what level of processing should you have done your retention level experiment? Again, a good question, and there isn't really an answer to this question. Right? And you've all taken 2127, you know where this is going. Why don't you combine the two? So now we have, these are, G just means group, okay? Group one gets a five minute level of processing at a low, sorry, five minute retention level, low level of processing. Uh, group five gets a medium level at one hour. We go up into group nine, has a high level of processing at 24 hours. So what I've done now is I've just taken the two experiments and put them together. Makes sense so far. This is stuff I think you've all seen from 20. Maybe you're not taking 2127? Yeah, that's impossible. Okay, good. You weren't supposed to be allowed in the course. Okay, good. Okay. Now, there's a model we have to deal with. We always have to have a model of where the variance comes from. Here's your model. X equals U plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. These alphas and betas, unfortunately, have nothing to do with type 1 and type 2 error. They're entirely, they represent entirely different things, okay? They represent entirely different things. So why not use a different symbol? Um, because they're actually entirely different sort of sets of math. That's why. Yeah. Bring the math people. I will. Yeah. Okay. You've got, you got, you got a little talking with, you go you 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 with the cost of the James, don't you? I don't want anything to do with it. Any score, that's always with X's. It equals the grand mean. You know about the grand mean. Right? That's, regardless of your group, that's your score. That's your effective A. Now, in our case, that might be level of processing, okay? And beta is the effective B. And let's, that would be retention error. This is the interaction of A and B. This is level of, levels of processing and retention interval acting together over and above what they do by themselves. See that? This only is the effective A and the effective B. You can think of these as like tau 1 and tau 2 if you wanted to, just like the old model, right? For the original uh, now severance x equals mu plus tau plus epsilon. They're just like those towns. They're just treatment effects. That's already accounted for in the model. But there's something else that can cause variance, and that's those two things acting together. So that's alpha beta. <coughs> and then, of course, there's always stuff left over. X equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. This is the two things acting together over and above what they do by themselves. If you think, if you know a little bit about taking, um, if you're taking neuropharmacology or you know about this, uh, alpha could be al level of alcohol, beta could be level of uh, diazepam, so valium, and alpha beta is the super additive effect of alcohol and diazepam. That may not help you a great deal if you haven't taken neuropharmacology. 
I can always only think of really depressing examples. So this is one, that first one was one about, you know, dying, because it's an overdose. It's easy. If you were looking at me in cover, yeah, let's just make happens. And we had smart people, we had kind of dumb guys, mid-medium, and smart guys. I'm using guy in that gender non-specific sense. Well, smarter you are, the more money you make. A lot of data out there. Here's an education also does that. So if you had high school, then you had so just finishing high school, just finishing undergrad, or just finishing uh, graduate school. Those are your three levels. The more you make more money on average with the more education you have. Okay. But you know, if you're really smart and you've got a lot of education, that's really, really, really good. You have a real advantage there. Now, the depressing side of it, if you're not too bright and you never finish, and all you've done is finish high school, you, that hurts. It's going to be a lot harder to make money. Right? So that's over and above just the effect of making uh, of your intelligence or just above the effect of going to school. The depressing example I always have is being a woman, you make less money than being a man. It's not right, that's the way the world works. You don't have to like it, but I must admit it's true. Right? Women make, I don't know what the numbers are now, it's 80 odd cents on the dollar compared to men for the same job. Being a visible minority is harder than being white. You make less money than white people. Here. Most places. Being a black woman must be hard. It's probably harder to be a woman or harder to be black. See, that's why it's depressing. Or I can go the other way. Being a white male is awesome. That's what an interaction is. It's the two things acting together adding a whole other source of variance. Okay? A whole other source of variance. Does that make some sense? And I know you've all dealt with interactions before with 2127. Probably Cheryl taught most of you that class. Um, might have been Paul. Might have been Dwayne. <coughs> if you were here in 1997, it would have been me. What's 2127? That's uh, the, the research methods course. The one course I ever taught that I did not like teaching. It just wasn't fun. Everything else I've taught, I've enjoyed. Some more than others, but 2127, I don't enjoy it. I fake it really well. Happily with a lot of other people that teach it and like teaching it, it's like, glad you guys picked that. Questions on an interaction? Do you understand what that means? Do you get, get sort of an intuitive level, at least understanding what it is? Okay. So a bit more explanation so not only can we look at the effect of A and B, we can look at the effect of A and B, how they act together, or of course the word is interact. It's sort of like the whole is more than the sum of its parts. In fact, it's exactly like that. It's not really sort of, because in fact the model says that. Not just the sum of its parts, A and B, but there's some interactive effect, A and B working together. 
bit more of a dictionary type definition. The effect of one variable changes depending upon the level of some second variable. The effect of one variable changes depending upon the level of some second variable. That's more of a dictionary type definition. All right? Does that make sense? You okay so far? This is my pocket so you don't hear the vibrating sound here. That's a pretty good sort of dictionary type definition. So one picture equals a thousand words. I the 3D glass, you didn't put on your 3D glasses for that, I'm sorry. Okay, we have two variables. We have A and B. This is the dependent variable here, obviously, on the, on the x axis. On the y-axis, we have the variable A, level 1 and level 2. And then we have the red, sort of maroonish colored dots, almost a garnet. That's level B2, and the blue ones are B1. So if you were to look at this graph, you can talk about, can you say that A2 is bigger than A1? Or A1 is smaller than B2. Yeah, sure, look. On average, let's go between the two levels of B. Well, it's here and here. Yeah, yeah. So here and here. A2 is bigger than A1. I can say that. Is B2 bigger than B1? Well, B2 is always above B1. So yeah. But can I, am I finished talking yet? It's me. I'm never finished talking. <laughs> they pay me for this. I'm, I'm really a treat to live with, by the way. Um, it's horrible when I, at dinner I get asked a question. Sometimes. I can get the response, Professor, we're not in your class right now. Which is totally reasonable, by the way. Yeah, B2 is bigger than B1, but it's way bigger than B1 at A2. And they're almost the same at A1. It's bigger, but not by a whole lot. If you can talk about, this is one way to do it as a, as a sort of intuitive way. If you can look at the data and talk about them without mentioning the other variable, then you probably don't have an interaction. Right? If you look at them and say, yeah, but I gotta say, but at A2 it's bigger. The effective B, then you've got an interaction problem. Okay? The other way to look at this, if you want to be completely mnemonic, is that if the lines are parallel, there is no interaction. The difference between B1 and B2 is smaller. At A2, there is. Sorry, at A1, there is an A2, that's what I should say. So the difference between B1 and B2 is smaller at A1 than it is at A2. The effect of B changes depending upon the level of A. And that flips over. 
The effect of A changes depending upon the level of B. Almost everything we deal with in life sciences in general <laughs> has interactions in it. It's just the way we aren't dealing with simple systems. We aren't doing easy science like physics. We can't isolate things like they can in physics and chemistry or as easily. In biology and psychology, we are dealing with complicated systems very often. And complicated systems have interactions in them. This, but the nice thing is we have ways of dealing with them. There was, there's a reason that the most statistically trained graduate students are always psychology students, with a close second being the biology students. Uh, there's a reason that um, people will come to you. If you go to graduate school and you're in psychology, you'll have people. <laughs> the physicists heard that and they've started, they're, they're putting in some kind of death gas. <laughs> We're all going to be knocked out. That, that Russian opiate gas that knocks you out. The Spetsnats are going to come through the roof. I would play too many video games. Well, I don't. I play lots. You can't play too many video games. By the way, the Mass Effect 3 demo is out. Just out of what you need. And if you have the Xbox, you can actually talk to it. You talk to the characters and they, with the Kinect. That's pretty cool. You can only talk when it says you can talk, but you can't just randomly say stuff. Spawn. That'll be Mass Effect 4, I imagine. Thanks. Very fun. What the hell was that? So we got on video games. Oh, yeah. <laughs> physics. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, like I said, we have these really complicated systems we're dealing with in, in life sciences in general. You know, in general. I, I know that when you're doing really, if you're doing like molecular genetics, not as much. If you're doing psychophysics, not as much. But, you know, in general, we have really complicated systems. So does that make sense, what I was talking about there? Not the video game bit, but this part about the, the graphs and the lines and the charts and the interactions. Yeah? So, again, back to the model, x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. I've said that a few times in my life. That's why I can say that. Here's some assumptions in this model. And the assumptions all fall out of the fact that we wrote out this equation. Okay? The sum of the alphas equals zero. What the hell is that? What, what, what do I mean by that? I mean that when you look at like alpha 1, alpha 2, alpha 3, in other words, the effect of being in A1, the effect of being in A2, the effect of being in A3 in our original example, that's going to raise your lower scores. Right? All I'm saying is, if we, if we add all those effects up, they sum up to zero. So if it's plus one for being in group one and plus two for being in group two, it's minus three for being in group three. Okay? And as we go along, you'll find out how, in fact, Right now, it looks like, no, you're just saying that it has to be that way. Actually, I'm not. And as we go along, you'll see. That assumption actually does just come out of writing out this equation. And that's just the level of A. So A1, A2, A3, we sum all those, we get zero. So you probably get the sum of the beta j's. J means 
just B1, B2, B3, right? So it's 1, 2, or 3. Excuse me. They sum to 0. And again, they have to. And we'll, I'll show you. If you've got a bit of a mathematical mind, you'll look at that and go, yeah, that makes sense. But if you don't, I can show, I'll show you later on uh, today or perhaps after the break that the world just has to work this way. There's no other way it can work. So the so Sony Alpha I beta J's, missing J, in other words, the interaction terms has to equal zero. So if we had, and it's the interesting thing here is, there's an extra restriction on this. If we had a simple two by two design, A1, A2, B1, B2, okay? We just had this. If it's plus one for being an A1, B1, it's then minus one, minus one, and plus one. They have to sum across, and they have to sum up and down. And they have to all together, it sounds. But they sum to zero. It's the important thing. <laughs> Error is normal <clears throat> and independent. That's what NID means, normal and independent, with a mean of zero and a variance of sigma squared. In other words, the error also sums to zero. And it has a variance, and so we've got to give it a name, so we'll call it sigma squared. Normal and independent. So the effect of being Malin and, and, and Mike and Dave and Jamie and Miranda, we added them all up, and they sum to zero. But they're independent. If you know the effect of Dave, you don't know the effect of Malin. Right? And it's normal. And it's got a mean of zero, but the variance, we don't know what it is. So we, but we, we can give it a name, and that name is Steve. No, no, the name is Sigma Square. But I think Steve is a fine name. When I was teaching at Memorial, they wanted to change the name of the university because they changed the name of the province, right? It went from Newfoundland to Newfoundland and Labrador. So people wanted, they said, we should change the name of the university, maybe Memorial University of Newfoundland and Labrador. Or maybe just a Memorial University, or maybe just a memorial. And uh, so they asked for input. They have a big blue ribbon committee, as these kind of things do, because people whine about stupid things. So we got an email, all of us, from the, this committee. And I said we should change the name of the university to Kenny. It's a really good name, good solid name, Ken. Why not? Ken here. Just Ken. Kenny. Just call it Kenny. I got a reply. Thank you for your contribution, Dr. Broadback. <laughs> People worry too much about crap. But we've got to give it a name, so we'll call it Sigma Squared. Right? It's and again, I know right now this may not make a lot of sense. It does if you've got a bit of mathematical background. But these assumptions actually describe the fact that we wrote this down. There's no other way this can be true unless these things are true. Now, you're going to do an F test. In fact, you're going to do three F tests. You're going to do an, effect, an F for A, an F for B, and an F for AB. Wow. So the assumptions for the F test is homogeneity variance, of course. Then it's random samples. <coughs> no, no, even it's not really that big a deal. Really, neither is this to a point. We know we can violate this. We can violate the shit out of this. 
we can make we can we can totally ignore random samples pretty much. The math still works. Random samples are nice, but they hardly ever happen. And the math still works. That's the beauty of it. And normal populations, we can violate the hell out of that too, because we're dealing with samples. Technically, the math behind it all assumes a normal population, but you don't need it. So those are just assumptions above. Here's a sort of a numerical example. These are just cell means. The, the, each of these is called a cell. A1, B1, A2, B1, etc. Those are just called cells, okay? I'm not giving you individual data here. I'm simply giving you cell means. So you have 9, 7, 3, and 1. We know that x equals mu plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to find out what these individual values are for each of these terms in the model. We can't do epsilon because we don't have individual scores. Okay? Uh, we could, but it, it just becomes laborious and silly. So just for example's sake, it's, it's not important. So the first thing is we're going to take what the brand mean. Well, 9 and 7 is 16, and 3 is 19, and 1 is 20. 20 divided by 1, 2, 3, 4 is 5. So the brand mean from these data is 5. Okay? By the way, I'm assuming equal cell sizes here, equal number of observations, equal ends. This can all be done without unequal ends, with unequal ends, but it's a pain. You should always get, if you can, equal number of observations. It just makes your life easier. So, it's five. Let's remove that, because if we take this out, and we don't have epsilon, because, like I said, no individual scores, all we're left with are the effects of A, B, and alpha, beta. So if we take that out, we're going to subtract 5 from each cell. We get 5, uh, 9 minus 5 is 4, 7 minus 5 is 2, 3 minus 5 is negative 2, and 1 minus 5 is negative 4. So now the only thing left in this table are the effect of A, the effect of B, and the, and the interaction effect. This assumes, you know, assuming there is one. We're going to take we took five out of each cell. We just took out the grand mean. So now we can take a look and see if there's an effect of A and an effect of B. Well, let's look at the effect of B first because that's what I've done. So, what's the average score? Remember, take out the grand mean. We took the average score of all four cells. Well, if we're going to take a look at the effects of A and B, we have to look at B1 and B2. So we're going to sum across A for B. So 6 and negative 6. So that means the effect of um, B1 is 3. Why do we divide by 3? Because it's the average score in B1. And of course, it's going to be negative 3 for the second group, for B2. Because negative 6 divided by 2 is negative 3. This is always the part where I hope that no one from the math department actually walks by. And I'm standing up here in a third year class going, Neg negative 6 divided by 2 is negative 3. Why did I divide by two? Because there are two observations. I'm trying to find the average effect of being in group one of B1 or the average effect of being in group B2. Does that make sense? 
Do you have any questions? Does it really make sense? Well, that's good. I mean, I think it makes sense, but I've been doing this a while. Well, now we're going to take 3 out of all the B1s, and we're going to take negative 3 out of all the B2s. Then we'll only be left with the effective A and the alpha beta. Kristen, you look like you... I don't. What? Okay, well, what's the problem? What's wrong? Can you say that again? Okay. What's the problem? That's <laughs> <laughs> what I did there. Kind of funny, right? Okay. Remember, we took up the grand mean, and what we're left with is the effective A. Look at the model. We don't have epsilon because we don't have energy source. So we take up the grand mean. The only thing we have left is alpha, beta, and alpha, beta. Right? The effective A, B, and the interaction. We just did the effective B. If you're in B1, your score goes up by 3. If you're in B2, the score goes down by 3. Oh, by the way, know how those sums to 0? Magic. So now we're going to take, if we take B1, the effect of uh, B up, we're only left with A. So that was A. And that was alpha beta. That was the interaction effect. So now it's gone. So now we're going to isolate the effect of the A next. And then what's going to be left is going to be interaction. Okay. That make sense? But what are we, you're subtracting? Yeah, because we can take them out. The same thing we did with the mean. Remember we took the brand mean out? That's how you take it out. Why we're doing that so we can just find the individual effects of B and A and AB interaction. Yeah, because we want to isolate them. We want to say, oh, well, if, I, if I'm going to do that, I'm going to take everything out. Okay. Right? And we're going to go from the general to the specific. The most general thing is, is mu, the grand mean, and the most specific thing is the uh, interaction effect. Yeah. So I took three out of all the B1s, and I took negative three out of all the B2s. For those of you that have forgotten all the math you learned in grade four, when you subtract a negative number, it's kind of like that. So one minus negative one is actually zero. What's the grand mean here? Remember, it's supposed to be gone. Oh, look, it's almost zero. The grand mean now, because we've taken it out, it's gone. What's, is there a B effect? Well, there was. We took it out, it's gone. Look, across B, across A, it's something across A to get B, it sums to zero. The only thing left now to take out is the A effect. So we get 2 and negative 2. The math is even easier. 2 divided by 2 is 1. <laughs> Old song from the 70s. Anyway. <laughs> Horrible pop 70s music. Actually, that was a bad song. So A2, effect is negative 1. A1, the effect is 1. I skipped the part about saying 2 divided by 2 is 1. Didn't think you needed that written down. Now it's the same as we did before, but now we're looking for the A's. We take one out of all the A1s. Again, the hard math, one minus one, you're going to get a zero, a zero, a zero, and a zero. And look, that's what we have. We're left with absolutely nothing. There's no... We've taken out the grand mean. We've taken out the main, what are called the main effects of A and B. There's nothing left, so there's no interaction. about significance right now. No. But it would eventually be, yes, except that these are never going to be, this is an idealized world. 
However, with any set of numbers, this will work. You will, they will all sum to zero. If you do this, what I've just been doing, it will always work that way. There's no way you can make up an example where the A effect, the B effect, and the interaction don't sum to zero. It's impossible. It cannot be done. There's no interaction. There's none. Nothing left. If you graph this out, which I've got a very funny scale, I just let um, program with these into that. Oh, yeah, numbers. It's a Mac uh, spreadsheet program. It just gave me a scale. I don't really care what the scale This is one of those exploratory data analysis kind of things. Oh, look, there's an effective B. B1 is bigger than B2. There's an effective A. A1 is bigger than A2. The lines are parallel. And so that's the first thing that tells me there's no interaction. Secondly, it's not that the effective A changes depending upon the level of B. No, it, there's just main effects. Just main effects, nothing left. That makes sense. Let's do another. <laughs> 20 zero, negative 10 two. All right, so you got that. A1, B1 is 20. A2, B1 is zero. A1, B2 is negative 10. A2, B2, which was a, a really lousy robot they decided not to use in Star Wars, is just two. And you can simply, we just did, did SBSS. That's all A2B2 did, and uh, it was kind of lame, so they replaced him with the R2B2. Yeah. And George Lucas will sue me. You mentioned Star Wars on a podcast of lecture. I want a million dollars. And I'm going to release everything every two years in a different format, because idiots will keep buying it. Now it's in 3D. Oh, look, a shitty movie in 3D. Let's all go to the Phantom Menace in 3D. <laughs> no, I don't want to. It was bad enough and disappointing enough and destructive enough of my childhood the first time. Should you just left well alone? Okay, I'm just... And I don't even like Star Wars. Star Wars is stupid. It's just stupid. But it was still fun when I was a kid. Now they just wrecked it. There's good things in the Star Wars universe. That's the Old Republic. Again, back to video games, made by BioWare. BioWare, of course, sponsoring today's episode of Psychology Lectures. <laughs> All right. So there's our example. Do the same thing. Let's first take out the grand mean. 20 and 0 plus 2. Minus 10. It's average and blah, blah, blah. 12 divided by 4, 3. This grand mean 3. So our first step always is going to be to remove the grand mean. That's what we're going to do. Let's take it out. It's going to be 20 minus 3 is 17. 0 minus 3 is negative 3. Uh, negative 10 minus 3 is going to be negative uh, 7. No, negative 10. Yeah, minus 3 is negative 13. Uh, 2 minus 3 is going to be negative 1. 
Oh, look, I can do arithmetic. So we take out the grand mean. The effect of A is 2 for A1 and negative 2 for A2. Look, by some, I want to get it differently this time. I summed across B. Just trying to mix it up. Trying to keep the end, you know, trying to make it exciting. 17 minus 13 is 4 divided by 2 is 2. Negative 3 plus negative 1, negative 4 divided by 2 is negative 2. Again, magically, they seem to sum to 0. Now, if you just made up numbers and did this, and frankly, I encourage you to do this to just practice playing with these things, you're going to end up with things with halves and quarters because you haven't cooked the numbers to make it so it's always whole numbers, but it always will work. It always will work. It has to. If they don't sum to zero, you made a mistake. There is no other way for it to work. It cannot not sum to zero. No, that's right. Cannot not. Okay. That's right. I could also say must. But. Yeah, Chris. How did you get two? Oh, yeah. Four divided by two. Oh. Two, because there's two observations for A1. Oh. It's just the average effect of A1, the average effect of A2. We have two observations. I'm just getting means. That's all they are. Okay. Yeah. Now, don't worry about it. And please, guys, don't feel like, oh. And again, it sounds, it's a pretty simple answer. But if you don't understand this, this is, the, this is why analysis of variance actually works. So if you understand that, you should ask. Why don't you ask? I'm only going to laugh at you if you said, what's that funny squiggly sign? I said, that's a four. <laughs> you know, then I'll laugh at you. But anything else, we're not going to going to make fun of anybody. Right? I've noted once more that they sum to zero. They must. This is the way the universe works. In other parallel universes, perhaps, or in galaxies far, far away. Real Star Wars theme today. Take out 2 for A1 and negative 2 for A2. <coughs> Which I did. Remember it was 17, now it's 15. Right? Okay. <laughs> so the cells again still sum to zero because we took the grand mean out. We have D grand meanified it. We have given it a grand meanectomy. The things I have to do to keep this vaguely interesting. It's, uh, there's like usually one or two people in the class who think it's really interesting. Most people know. I was the guy in the class when we learned this in the history school. Where the prof was up there doing Bob Dylan impressions. That's what he did. When you try to find an interaction, what if Dylan's song is in the mind yet? Then you know there's something happening, and you don't know what it is. It's uh, pretty good, you know. He was quite a guy, Dr. Harshman. He took a lot of vitamins, he used to say. Never really knew what the vitamins were. He was a good guy, new stuff. He was an interesting guy, he didn't even have an undergraduate degree. You know, you look at the calendar. You ever do this? You look at the calendar, the university calendar, and you say, oh, I wonder where my profs went to school. You, you do that, right? So it wasn't just me. So you look, and you say, oh, Dave went to Western U of T. Oh, Dwayne went to Memorial and Laurier. And then I remember looking up Dr. Harshman, and at Western, there's like 800 professors. So I look up Dr. Harshman, my stats prof, and it just says PhD Stanford. 
but that's weird. He doesn't see where he got his undergrad. So I went up to him after class and I said, Who would you get your undergraduate degree? He looks at me, he was like a burnout from the 60s, literally. He says, I didn't really get one. I said, What? What do you mean you didn't get one, Dr. Harshman? He said, Well, I got a PhD. <laughs> I said, How'd that work? He said, Well, I was working on, as an undergraduate, I was working on factor analysis, which is a kind of statistics we won't talk about in this class. You want to know about that? We'll talk to Paul Dupuy. He knows that stuff. Um, I know about it sort of on broad strokes. <laughs> Paul knows stuff on it. I was working on factor analysis, and I found out they could tell me a mistake, so I corrected it. So he fixed statistics as an undergrad. But then I sort of thought I should drop out of university, man. But what? It's the 60s, right? It's a whole different time. He dropped out of school. He said, but I thought I should publish this, so I sent it to a journal. And they said, I got it back from the editor. He said, this is a horrible paper, but it would make a great PhD dissertation. You want to be my graduate student? All you have to do is take the courses. Your thesis is done. So that's what I did. Really. <laughs> okay. So he only had a PhD. Which is really cool. It's different times. That's not a career path. <laughs> Just clearly that discussion they have a graduate school. That is not a career path. It's worked for one guy I know. One guy. <laughs> I used to go into his office and there were stacks of outputs from like various computer programs everywhere and empty beer bottles. He was so, he was a great guy. He died about 10 years ago. He was really something. First stats prof I had that was teaching me the high-end stuff and then I had the Scottish guy in um, Toronto. Anyway, so yeah, trying to keep it interesting. So we've taken out the effect of A, well, across A. We know we've, this, whenever you do these things, you can always check that I do it properly. Because if I figure A out, if I sum across A, I should now get zero. So let's do B. Plus 14 and negative 14. Well, this is harder. We're now going to have to divide with two digits. It's going to be 7 and negative 7. So we're going to take 7 out of the B1s and negative 7 out of the B2s. So let's take it out. Remove it. Out, out, damn spot. Shakespeare? Yeah, I can do Shakespeare. Rams thou art and call it and shalt be what thou art promised. It's actually a Lady Macbeth thing. That's all I got. I had to memorize something in grade 12. I picked that. What's left? Oh, we have an interaction this time. This is all very exciting. It's like Christmas in a really lame world. Where interactions are presents in a world where interactions are presents. <laughs> One man has the courage to do data analysis. It's a trailer for a really bad movie, almost as bad as The Phantom Menace. <laughs> Look, it sums to zero. I remember I said it has to sum across and up and down. But we know it's the interaction because we've taken out the brand we've taken out the fact that we've taken out the or I can say that slowly. We know it's the interaction because I've taken out the brand knee. We removed the effect of A. We also took the effect of B at Jenny. Um, but we didn't know about errors, so couldn't it also be? Uh, yeah, but these are summings. Oh. Right? So I'm assuming that let's say there's 10 people in each group and their scores added up to whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're assuming all that stuff's true. 
you could do it, in fact, the first thing you would, then the last thing you would do after this, sorry, for each cell, you could calculate how it differs from the cell mean, and you would get all these individual effects, and we'd have to do this then. The next thing we'd have to do now is for every single subject. So now we would get the effect of Mikeness, Jennyness, Nerineness, and Davis. And that is, like I said, you could do it, but, and in fact, that's what the math does when you do analysis of variance. I'm taking that step out because it's frankly not that instructive. One could do it. Right? So you'd have like in here, so left, what's left here is an eight. Then you look at the scores in here, which you've taken all those values out all the way through, and you'd have a plus one for being a Mike, and you'd have a plus three for being a Kristen, and a minus four for being uh, Jenna, and I get sum to zero, and a plus one for being Jenna. And that all sums to zero, because they have to sum to zero too. So doing that would just be a royal pain, so we don't do it. The math doesn't, when we actually do calculations, yeah. For sure. That's a very good question. It's sum to zero in every possible way. Well, not, you don't have to actually worry about diagonals, so it's not every possible way. Every interesting way. It's not like, um, what matters is rows, columns, and total. Rows, columns, and total. Just zeros, we would have no interaction. But it's not, they're non-zero. Over and above the effect of being an A1 or B1 or whatever, there's an effect of just being an A1, B1. That means it raises your score by 8. Being an A2, B1 lowers your score by 8. Being an A1, B2 lowers your score by 8. Being an A2, B2 raises your score by 8. Over and above just the, the square called the, the main effects of A and B. So these are actually deviations from zero. But because we've taken the grand mean up, that's what makes it always sum to zero. We take the grand mean up. These are, in essence, deviations from the mean if we solve the zero there. So we can calculate right now by looking at that the sum of squares for interaction. It's 256. It's 8 squared plus negative 8 squared plus negative 8 squared plus 8 squared. Yeah, it's 256. It's 64 and 64 and 64 and 64. What was, the, what was the main effect of A again? What was the, what were the numbers? Is it 2 and negative 2 or something? Yeah, so the sum of squares for A is 8. Because it's 2 squared and negative 2 squared. And for 7 and negative 7, that's what, no, what was it? 7 was 14, right? It's 14. 14 squared is... Two sixteen, I think. So then two sixteen, two sixteen, five, so four hundred and thirty-two. Assuming I did math correctly. See, because they're just square deviations. They're just squaring deviations from the mean. Well, we took the mean out, so we're squaring deviations from zero at that point. 
So it's quite cool that, in fact, this shows you where the sum of squares come from. That's going to bug me if I did that right. 14 squared is 196? I think that's 13 squared, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. 196. Yeah, I know you're right. Because yeah, 13 squared. Yeah. If we graph it, you can clearly see there's an interaction. Dude, the lines cross. Don't cross the streams. Ghostbusters. You know, Ghostbusters as a big part, it's been important to me, partially because it's funny. But partially because I watched it on TV the night before I wrote my GREs. Um, and why is that important? Because they used a word. And I've told some of you guys, if you want to improve your vocabulary for the, the GREs, you look up every word you don't know. So I had a dictionary, and there's one part where the Rick Moranis character talks about the minions of Gozer. I thought, I don't know what minion means. I looked up minion, and it was on the GRE the next day, one of the analogies. So. They're redoing that. They're not remaking Ghostbusters, are they? They're making a sequel, right? They're not with Bill Murray. Because I don't want to see a darker, grittier, reimagined Ghostbusters with Edward James Olmos or something. So if you want to interpret, and this is the last bit we'll do today, if you want to interpret an interaction, you have to really be careful. If you have main effects, which is the effect of A or B, in the presence of an interaction, it might be or excuse me, it might be hard to do. With our first example, the very first one I put up, um, I could do it. I could say, I can talk about A or B independent of the level of A and B. And that's called an ordinal interaction. That's when the order of the main effects is preserved. Okay? In other words, that's where the lines don't cross. So that's where the order of the main effects is preserved. I feel comfortable, personally, if I'm interpreting it. Because, you know, you're not doing this as an end into an of itself. You're, you're doing this to analyze data. If I have an interaction, but I can confidently say A1 is always bigger than A2, or B1 is always bigger than B2, I don't mind talking about the effect of A on its own. Or if the slope basically goes the same way. Like they're both going, say, downhill, but one's going faster than the other. I'm confident and I'm fine with that. <coughs> uh, some people, by the way, will tell you never would interpret interactions in the pre uh, no, sorry, main effects in the presence of interaction. It's a much more conservative view, and I understand it. I just don't do things that way. With what's called a disordinal interaction, it's probably impossible to interpret main effects. Because when you're writing a paper and saying, there's a main effect, and there may be a main effect, like numerically there's a main effect. There's nothing wrong with that, so statistically you're fine. But if I say, if I was talking about something like priming implicit memory, um, and priming just involves, uh, it's a kind of memory you don't, not aware you have, and it doesn't decay significantly at all. So if I was to do an experiment of, with priming as the memory task, after seven days, there'd be no decay, it's a straight line. Whereas 
with like recall, it decays rapidly and a whole lot. But you know what? In an experiment like that, if I analyze the data, I'll find the main effect of rotation. Because one of them's gone so far down that on average it's an effect of rotation. But I cannot say that retention interval always affects memory. I would have to say, depending on the, the kind of task, only when it's what's called an explicit task. So, in that case, it's, it, you just can't do it. It's something you have to, can you, can you do it? My sort of guideline to myself is, do I feel comfortable talking about one effect and ignoring the other? Ignoring the other variable altogether. If I can do that, I will interpret the main effects. But if I can't do that, I will really pretty much ignore them. I'll say there's a main effect when you write your paper up to say, you know, f at 3 and 72 equals 26.44, comma p is less than 0.05. But then I won't even talk about it in the discussion. Because I can't. Because the lines have crossed. It's like I can't say there's an effect. That, remember the last thing we had? The last graph. There was an effect of A and an effect of B, but look at that interaction. Right? We had a huge effect here, then they actually switch, and there's hardly any effect over here. Can you talk about A and B on their own? No, we can't. So like I said, especially with a disordered interaction, where the order of main effects is not preserved, I don't think you can. With an ordinary interaction, I think you can, usually. But you have to kind of use your own judgment. Question. Mm -hmm. Ordinal interaction is when the order of main effects is preserved. So, yeah, you can also say that the lines don't cross. So, if you looked at, see, the order of main effects is preserved. So, if the order of the main effects is preserved, there's an interaction, right? But in my experiment here, I can say that there's an effect. Well, I have to tell you what these are. That be one. That be two. I'm comfortable in that example saying there's a main effect of A and a main effect of B. I can, I can say that. I don't have to say, oh, except in, except in E2. However, that, that's an ordinal interaction. The order of the main effects is preserved. If it actually looked like this, I guarantee you in that there would be a main effect of A. Look, A2 is bigger than A1. There may not be a main effect of B. Those look like they cross right in the middle. Would you feel comfortable saying A2 is bigger than A1? No, because you'd say, you know, it's like you have to say, except on Tuesday. If you have to say, except what B2, you go, oh, no, I can't do that. Right? And that's a disorder of the rational effect. The order of the main effects is not preserved. So you have to, it's kind of something you have to play by ear. Some people will say never interpret main effects in the presence of interactions. I think that's a bit harsh. And I'll tell you, if you do your honors thesis next year, maybe your supervisor has that attitude, and maybe they don't. Right? A lot of that also goes along with what does previous research say, etc. So you have to kind of play, play it by ear. But typically, I, if, I think, if I feel comfortable talking about the thing on its own, I'll do it. All right, questions? Have a good break, guys. Let me see if I can get it right
right I never wanted it to end like this in a fight When you say you don't want to be free from me And all the words that I said that you didn't believe But you can spend every day in a comatose And I'm out every night in an overdose I know you think what we had was oh so close But not like everything else, it's over with lost And the flowers and glass when they smashed on the floor And I look on your face when I open the door I couldn't believe there was somebody standing there And you don't care what freaking Someone else, and I can go get sane with someone else. I don't think I can leave the pain I felt. It's so inside, I don't think anyone could help. And the flowers are glass when they smashed on the floor. And I look on your face when I open the door. I couldn't believe there was somebody standing there. But I don't care, I'm breaking up with everything. It's not just you, I'm losing it. Look down to nothing. podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.